Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10 piece Wick Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba da ba ba ba. Go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. <laughs> What is up, everybody? Welcome to the stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete, and, and I'm not looking forward to talking about the Marvel stuff today. Oh wow! <laughs> wow, really? What a way to plant a flag, Pete. Interesting. Yeah. Well, that's okay because we're going to kick it off with a DC comic first. Punchline okay. number one, written by James Tide of the Fourth and Sam Johns. No relation, I think. Art by Mirka Andalfo. This is, as you can probably guess from the title, focusing on punchline. The new girlfriend of the Joker, who is brought to the forefront during the Joker War, finally getting her own one shot. She'll be getting her own series, I think, starting next year at some point. Uh, it certainly but, feels that way, yes. Yeah, but this is picking up. She is in prison. Uh, and in this issue, we get one of James Tynan's pet projects. Harper Rowe shows up again with her brother, uh, tracking down Punchline, is clearly setting her up as an adversary to her. We find out a lot more about her origin. Um, I'll tell you what. I personally have been feeling very much like Punchline is the Poochie of the Batman side of the universe. Oh, what? What What the? Hold on. Let me finish. But this issue went a long way to selling me on understanding what their take on her is, personally. Pete, you're all in on Punchline. That is clear. Yes. I think this is a interesting uh, kind of uh, way to come at this character. What I don't like is she's like, oh man, don't trust people who have a podcast. They turn out to be psychos, which, you know, it's, it's fair. Truth. It's fair. Uh, but I do think that this is, this is an interesting villain. It's, it's, it's one of those things where like she was kind of forced into a situation, almost helped the Joker in quotes, and then kind of like, what it's Batman interrupted them and then felt like, like, oh man, I was so close to being a part of something bigger. And this is kind of her pursuit of that. Um, so it's interesting. I'm, I'm, I feel like as a first issue, they do a good job of being like, okay, here is this character. Here's a little bit of her backstory and what she's about. And I think it does a good job of getting you intrigued for more to see how this is all going to unfold and to see if she does claim her kind of like the, all the bad stuff that she does or tries to like hide it. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I, first off, I really, the, I thought the art on this was great by uh, yes, and, yes. and Dolfo. Um, really good stuff. And sort of had some flavor to it as opposed to just sort of 
uh, getting it done, uh, which I thought was nice. But I think the real – this issue made crystal clear what the whole idea here is, um, jumping off what you said, Alex. Like the whole thing with Harley Quinn – was it always felt a little wild that Harley Quinn was the Joker's uh, psychiatrist, and then suddenly she became a uh, a his partner or his just like fully on board? And in well, this issue, we get to see. Wait, this... can I? Yes, sure. I just wanted to ask you: Have you ever just like really hated your day job before? Uh, no, I've never. What is work? Because, you know, when you love your job, <laughs> it's like you never work a day in your life. So wow. uh, don't know what you're talking about. If you teach uh, a man to fish, you never work a day in your life. That's what I always say. That's right. Wow. I'd rather be fishing, says the uh, seed of my genes. Um, <laughs> the What I like about this, though, is it's sort of a, a – we see the progression and it very much mirrors – how many people are um, go from being a regular person on the internet to being radicalized um, in our modern uh, world through social media, yeah. and I, I think this does a really good job of using that very real issue in our uh, country slash world um, and putting it into the comic book world and bringing us a character that we believe. Like I believe the way this story is told. Uh, and having her having punchline land where she does, like, I'm on board. I think this is a really good issue for for getting us to like the character. Yeah, I hope those punches do land because it'll be interesting to see how this unfolds. Yeah, uh, like you said, very smart, uh, very well done. Particularly if you've been on the fence about the character like I have, I recommend reading this issue. Let's move to another one that I know Pete is excited about, even though it's a Marvel comic, Taskmaster Number 1, written yeah. by Jed McKay. I should have been more specific and said sure. the X-Men stuff, yeah. Uh, art... <laughs> God, uh, art by Alessandro Vitti. Uh, so this is a new take on Taskmaster. He is just chilling out on a golf course. When hey, we just pick like up here, you know, everybody ends up else. getting framed for a murder. I won't spoil who gets murdered, uh, but ends up on the run for that murder as usual. Uh, particularly given that we revisited Fred Van Lente's excellent Taskmaster yes. series just a few months ago. Uh, here on this very show. Uh, what'd you think about this one? What'd you think about this new take here? I thought this was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, having bullseye in him in this kind of celebrity golf tournaments. Uh, I just didn't expect this. I was really impressed with, you know, just from reading comics and knowing this character, like, okay, I know how this is going to go, but I was pleasantly surprised by the start of this and how different it felt from what I expected. And I think it was kind of a very cool story and also a very interesting team up. Um, so I, I'm, I think this did a really great job of setting up this kind of, new take on Taskmaster a little bit, and then kind of like this arc of where this is going and uh, kind of laid out all the characters that are going to be involved. I think this did a great job of getting me wanting more and excited for this world. Taskmaster has this weird spot in the Marvel Universe where sometimes it's a little bit Deadpool-esque, but it's like sometimes he's meant to be a scary villain who is like very hard to beat. And in this, he's sort of goofy, uh, goofy dude who is like fucking around, and that's why I feel yeah. like Fred Van Lente's take we love so much because it really found the middle ground between those two. Like he's someone with a tragic backstory where he can't retain his long term memory, and it, because his brain is full of these 
fighting techniques that have overtaken uh, his short-term memory. So it's a little... Uh, I don't quite know where this book is going because I like the story and I like sort of the yeah, but- the task that I hope he masters oh, uh, by the end of wow. it. Um, but the, the golf, the golf stuff felt a little, I was like, wait, what? Um, and I, I <laughs> no, did, I will fun. say I, I loved that it was black widow. I, my guess was that it was black widow was hunting him. And I love that it actually was uh, by the end. Yeah. Of the show. I mean, this but, seems like a pretty clear tee up for the black widow movie, right? I don't know when this is originally supposed to come out, but given the taskmaster is going to show up there, black widow is going to show up there. Obviously, um, it seems like this is tying into that in a certain way, or at least going to be one of those things where, Hey, now there's a trade on the stands. The other thing I'll get into spoilers here. I sincerely, I, I, I don't love the idea of being ahead of a book, but I sincerely hope this is where this twist is heading because, again, spoilers, the thing is that Taskmaster is uh, framed for the death of Maria Hill, and it feels like killing Maria Hill off screen is a very bad, very weird move, but what I think is going on here is uh, Nick Fury Jr., recruits him to uh, find out, find the real killer of Maria Hill so he can get Black Widow off his back. It seems to me that it's probably Nick Fury Jr. is not who he says he is. It is, in fact, somebody yeah. else has uh, lied to Taskmaster the entire time. And that's the twist coming down the road. I This is something that I felt very uncomfortable and sort of hated when they brought out, oh, Maria Hill is dead. When they get to that twist, say four issues down the road, I think I'm going to feel a lot better about this book. Uh, but as it is, Alessandro Vitti's art is really solid and fun, and there's some funny bits in here. Jed McKay, I think, wrote the Black uh, Cat book. Uh, that love that coming book. out, which is super I love fun. that book. Uh, so he knows comedy, uh, so it's good stuff. If you're looking for a fun, silly one, this might be one to check out. Yeah, I just wanted to go back and uh, touch on something Justin said. Yes, uh, Fred Van Lente definitely did an amazing job, uh, but I think other people should be allowed to do their takes. You know, just because Fred did no. something that no. was so no. iconic. No. One Not- take, one take, and one take only. I say legally. Uh, I, I I think there's room for other kind of uh, uh, takes on people, but Pete, I when think... you're making a movie, you only do one take. Mm-hmm. They no, just turn the true. camera on and everything rolls. That's uh, how it LA works. Justin, you know better than that. Come on. They, then they just move the camera to different locations. The camera's rolling the whole time. It's traveling from Every, uh, everything Atlanta. is filmed live, right? Yep. Great. It's why it's really hard. Actors really have to run very quickly to different places. Mm-hmm. Kick-Ass versus Hit-Girl, number one from Image Comics, written by Steve Niles, art by Marcella Frusen. Uh, this is following the new Kick-Ass, who is in with some drug dealers and gangs. Uh, by the end of the book, Hit-Girl is maybe coming for her? Um, I gotta tell you, I like Steve Niles. I thought this art was very good. The violence was brutal. I... We were talking about this other live show a little bit, uh, the idea that some number one issues don't leave enough on the table, that they sort of just like get to it at the end. Frankly, this is the issue that I was thinking of when we were talking about it, because not enough happens here in this first issue necessarily to make it work for me, but I'm curious to hear what you guys think. Well, I'm kind of like, you know, you see it in movies and comics all the time. The person who killed 
somebody then goes to the funeral. And that's just so insane to me um, that you would go to somebody's funeral that you murdered. Uh, Pete, but, you're going you're gonna to come to my funeral, right, though? Sure, sure am, buddy. Okay. Yeah, can't wait to uh, piss on your grave. It's going to be great. Uh, I just think you that... don't have to piss on the grave at the funeral. The grave's going to be there. Do give it a day. The Come priest back. always says that, right? If anybody yeah. would like to piss if on anybody. the grave, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Speak now or forever hold <laughs> it. Hold yeah. it in your bladder. Hold it. hold it. You don't want to be caught holding it. Well, yeah, I mean, because we know these characters so well, so I feel like it, this isn't like a new telling. It's just kind of like these are where these characters are, and pretty soon they're going to clash. Um, but it's always tough when it's like Kick-Ass versus Hit-Girl, issue one, but they don't ever meet in the comic yet, so that's a little like, meh. Yeah. Hey, I have a feeling they will um, down the line. Oh, so oh, okay. that's uh, it's just setting it up. Um, I do think the um, the art here is great. Um, if you're uh, it, uh, Marcelo Frusin really takes yep. on the JRJR uh, vibe, but gives it um, gives it its own sort of flavor in a nice way. So that was cool. A lot of heads being cut off in perfect uh, yeah. little hot dog little hot dog sections, which I uh, was like, okay. <laughs> well, if you got a really sharp sword like that, it's gonna it's gonna cut right so through. So easy to cut through. Yeah. A spine. Well, that's actually how they make hot dogs. Yep. hundred percent. Yeah. And I won't tell you what body parts of what animals are doing that. Oh, uh, but Let- uh, otherwise, it was a real quick read. Yes, I agree. Uh, Resident Alien, your rides here, number one from Dark Horse Comics, written oh, by my Peter Hogan here. and art by Steve Parkhouse. Um, I have not been a religious Resident Alien reader, but as far as I can gather from this issue, it's about an alien that just kind of hangs out with people. And I love... He's a resident. Yeah. Dude, we've I, I kind of love how this. casual it is. I thought there would be more alien stuff in this book. There's not. He's just kind of hanging out. very chill. No one even talks about how he's an alien. No, no, guys, we've read this before. This is like a thing where, like, he 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 doesn't look like that to other people. Like, he kind of wears a disguise, but he revealed himself to that girl who's getting the haircut in the book. Uh, this had previous arcs before, and this is a really kind of cool thing. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, I this reminded me, and I think this is perhaps why you like it, Pete. It reminded me a little bit of Concrete, yeah, um, mm. the uh, old series from back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it is fun. It, it is a, almost too like slice of life for the first like two thirds of it. I like the Vision Quest stuff at the end, and uh, I would be curious sort of where this opens up to. But man, this issue ends with sort of like, oh, that's just it. it is funny though i mean even if you don't if you're not totally familiar with the series and like pete said we've read a couple of issues here and there but um just kind of picking this up and not necessarily having immediate recall of what we talked about before there's still good solid jokes and characterization in here that make this very engaging um i enjoyed it even if most of the time i felt like i don't know what they're talking about (laughs) Yeah. Uh, you know. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm very into this comic. I really am invested in this relationship. Um and uh yeah, I'm excited for more. This is kind of an interesting uh new arc and I, I'm hoping that uh the alien and this lady can work it out. 
How invested in the relationship are you, Pete? I'm very, very invested. Yeah. Heavy. 10K. Like you put 10K on it. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I'll take, the, I like those odds. American Vampire, 1976, number two from DC Comics, written by Scott Snyder, art by Raphael Albuquerque. As you can probably figure out from the title, this is picking up on the first issue set in 1976. As Skinner Sweet and his gang were trying to take over a train that holds all of the relics of America, uh, feels almost like a little bit of a leftover from Scott Snyder's undiscovered country's ideas in a certain way. Uh, but Skinner Sweet is forced to team up with his brother, who he thought was dead. We get a little bit of flashback that explains that here. Man, it is so good to have this book back. I yeah. am uh, loving every issue of it so far. I really like the start of it. The fun recap of like, gather around, kids. Uncle Skinner's going to catch you up. I thought that was great. I uh, really appreciated uh, kind of like the walk through their history there. I mean, you can't really say enough about the art. It's really unbelievable. And I love the Butch Cassidy and Sundance reference. So, yeah, Skinner Sweet is such a great character. It's just great to be able to read new stories where we can follow him around. And what I uh, I like this series as a culmination point of a lot of the American vampire dangling threads. And, like, the, the tongue is gross, and the tongues that we see in this book are gross. And uh, it's great. It's a, it's a truly daunting villain uh, for a title that's been able to maintain such quality over the years. Great stuff. Definitely pick it up. Next up, The Amazing Spider-Man number 52 from Marvel Comics, written by Nick Spencer and art by Patrick Gleason. Finally, Spider-Man is facing down Kindred, the villain who has been taunting him pretty much all of Nick Spencer's run. Uh, We have gotten the reveal of who Kindred is, or at least who we think Kindred is. Personally, I have some doubts there that the reveal is actually what we think it is. Uh, But in this issue, Spider-Man gives up surrenders to Kindred to save all of his friends, all the rest of the Spider-Man family. And it ends in a moment that I felt like such a sucker because I know this is not going to be permanent, but I legitimately gasped out loud at the end of this issue. Uh, I, I thought this was great. Pete is nodding his head. Yes, yes, yes. I can see him on the yes, video. Yes, right yes. Give me he more. Loves it. Give me more. No, uh, is- Justin, let's go to you first. What did you think about this? Um, we have never been closer to finding out how kindred is than we are with this issue. Um, and I, yeah, you could have said that for many issues in this run of 52. Um, I really want to know now. Well, they, they've really, they've revealed that, uh, kindred is Harry Osborne. Like that's been the thing that they've come out and said. Yes. And that was, was that the last issue or there was, yeah, it was two issues back? Yeah. Two. And, and that feels it feels weird to me. It feels uh, wrong. That, yeah. It feels it like feels, a fate. And I think you had the theory that it's uh, Peter Parker in the, from the future, um, like a dead Peter Parker or something who is like very uh, bitter about his life perhaps. And, and I think this issue, I was thinking of that theory a lot because it feels like Kindred is sort of like, you've wasted your life fighting for these people. And that's sort of the point. And I think that's a nice counterpoint for Peter to the, our present day Peter to fight back and say, like, it is worth it. You just took the wrong path or whatever. My theory was that it was the um, the robber who uh, kills Uncle Ben, um, yeah. the thief. Um, 
that would be cool too. But I like, I sort of like your theory a little bit better at this point. Feels more on track with what the story they're telling. Because I don't know what Harry Osborn, while he is a big part of Spider-Man lore, he's Norman overshadows him so much. And like, I don't know what the point of having Harry there does. Well, I'll tell you also on that note, there's a, a big scene in here that is very reminiscent of what Scott Snyder did in Death, not Death in the Family, Death of the Family. Death of the, the family, Joker yeah. arc where he gathered uh, the Joker, gathered everybody around the dinner table. In this instance, what Kindred does is he <laughs> digs up the skeletons of everybody who Spider-Man has let die and gathers them around. And the moment... It's so well paced and so horrifying because he goes around and is like, here's Captain Gwen Stacy. Here's Gene DeWolf. Here's, uh, uh, what is it, Marla Jameson. Uh, yep. And then he gets to Gwen and Flash. Spider-Man and he's like, oh, no, Gwen. And then Flash. And the last one is like Uncle Ben. And it's so upsetting to see that happen. Uh, very well done in exactly the way that it should feel. I thought Pete again, nodding his head. Yes, yes, yes. Could not love, agree love, more. Love. It seems like, uh, and Pete, before we go to Pete, <laughs> yes. whose opinion will no doubt really crown this review of the book. Um, I want to give a shout out to Patrick Gleason's R is so uh, yeah. perfect for this run. Um, to your point, we saying how horrifying this dinner scene is. Patrick Gleason's R is the perfect companion to the story. Uh, I just can't wait for uh, Nick Spencer to get the fuck off this book. Uh, it's just he writes these fucked up, twisted things and really fucks with you as a fan who's loved something for many years and then makes you question that. I mean, to dig up these people and have their corpses sitting at a table, fuck you. And then have uh, Spider-Man be like, fucking, I give up, kill me. Fuck you. I'm sick of this shit. This just (laughs) over-the-top fucking just bullshit to fuck. It's just, it's all grotesque. It's all ridiculous. Give me a fucking Spider-Man story, man. This is bullshit. I want to see Spider-Man do something important like catch a purse snatcher. Has he done that? Has he stopped a purse (laughs) snatching at any point? I think this is good. I'll also mention, I know we didn't include this in the stack. You you were like, when that moment happened, I just, I yelled boo. And I closed my laptop and I was just like, I had to walk away for a little bit. Uh, Boo. They're also (laughs) releasing uh, these uh, 52.LR books, which I know we didn't, uh, I didn't send over for the stack, but uh, they're kind of taking place between the stories and focusing on the characters around Spider-Man. Also really good and really dark. This one focuses on uh, Norman Osborn teaming up with Mary Jane, which is wild. uh, And she hates it. Pete, don't worry. She does not want to work with him at all. Uh, But really good stuff and just very dark. It definitely feels like... Spider-Man shouldn't be this dark. What is almost unequivocally the best Spider-Man story of all time, Pete? I don't know. Craven's Last Hunt. I think that's like, your opinion. I don't think no. I What's think yours? If, you, if you ask almost anybody, if you asked what is I like the a best, couple Rhino stories that are great. Sure, there's a great Spider-Man stories, but the best one of all time is probably, obviously, arguably, Craven's Let's Hunt. 
Spider-Man dies. He's buried in that. Craven takes over. He's covered in spiders. It's dark. And I think that's what Nick Spencer is going for here. No, and Nick I think Spencer's he's just doing that shock accurate. value shit. It's not. I, I don't think so. And also, like, Spider-Man's origin is dark. Like, his uncle dies and he lets him go. It's like hor- like guilt. Like he just doesn't know that death. at the time, though, though. No, I, yeah, I know. He doesn't know that <laughs> Sorry, Justin, are you familiar with Spider-Man's origin story? <laughs> yeah, he was. there was a thief and he was like, uh, uh, should I stop this guy? And then the guy was like, I'm going to go kill your uncle. And he's like, he's go, like ahead. go right ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Get out of here, you scam. As long as a caterpillar man finds my uncle's corpse later, I'm good with it. Sorry, well, I'm just saying there's, there's been a darkness to Spider-Man um, from the jump. So I think this is well within the rain, range to tell the story. Nope. Let's move on then to something that is perfectly, uh, purposely dark. Scaring Hood number one from IDW by Nick Roche and Chris O'Halloran. We had Nick Roche on our live show this week. Uh, so let's be honest here. Let's be true to ourselves. What do we really think about Scaring Hood? I'll come out and I'm going to say it. This is the truth. I like this book. <laughs> nice. Bold. I mean, I, I raved about the book um, on the live show. Um, but to boil it down, I really uh, like how this book feels very like slice of life. Um, it's about a uh, father in um, in Ireland. Uh, in a, I don't know what town it is, but um, in, in Ireland, um, he uh, struggles with uh, just the stress of being a dad, um, tries to like connect with the parents. It's really funny. And then there's uh, we slowly get peppered in a couple details about how like the school is maybe a little haunted um, and it builds and builds and builds to a legit scary moment that combines the fear of uh, the supernatural with the, the regular fears of being a parent in a way that I thought was a real great step forward. I'm very excited for more of this. Yeah, I mean, this is more in your guys' sweet spot a little bit because I was like, I get it. You're a real dad in real life, you know. Okay, all right. But uh, you're a cat dad. You're a cat dad. Think about uh, yeah. it if it's a, a cat. Yeah, but your your Twitter bio says cat daddy, right? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly okay, what yeah, it I believe says. it's caddy daddy, if I remember correctly. Oh, my God. So anyways. Um, but the original really, caddy daddy. All that aside, I really liked the – the kind of horror ghost story elements. I thought it was really cool. I very much enjoyed this book, even though I'm not a parent and don't know the struggles um, that you guys deal with. Uh, But I thought it was uh, really well done and interesting. And I'm, I'm very excited to read more. I think this is kind of like a cool team on this book. So I think, uh, you know, it's rich enough that I really want to kind of delve into it more. Yeah, Be, I, being a parent's like your life, but with fewer cheesesteaks and fewer romantic comedies. Boo. I don't, that doesn't sound fun. Uh, I really like this as well. The pitch that I didn't give on the show. If you, you. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Ooh. I thought that was okay. part of the You're pitch. A, <laughs> seem to be allergic to the pitch. Yeah. That was not part of the pitch. Uh, I just teased. Uh, this is uh, like single parents meet stranger things is the way that I'd put it. Oh, wow. Uh, it's, uh, we talked about this in the live show a little bit, but I was really impressed, particularly given we read a lot of first issues with how packed this was with details. Yeah. And the fact that things slowly build to the supernatural, but it isn't the last page reveal. It's about... 
uh, halfway, two-thirds of the way through the issue, that we get some weird supernatural stuff. We get even weirder supernatural stuff as it goes. And the character designs are really terrifying in the right way. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is a great debut. I was very happy to read this, and I was glad that we got to chat with Nick for so long about Agreed. it. Agreed. Uh, let's move on to another title that we've been enjoying quite a bit. G.I. Joe, number 10 from yeah. IDW, written by Paul Alor, art by Chris Evanhus. Uh, Pete, Yo, Joe. you got to like this one because there was a Baroness appearance in this one. But for the mm-hmm. most part, this is about a secret lab that is trying to create half-human, half-robot cyborg bats for Classic. Cobra and how they end up taking it down. Um after classic being a Dr. little Mindbender stuff, I mean, classic Dr. Mindbender stuff, Dr. Uh, Mindbender. After not being so crazy about the last issue, I was glad to personally to see this return to form for this issue. What do you guys think about this one? Yeah, I, I'm enjoying this, I'm having a lot of fun. Um, also, kind of a crazy reveal because uh, I'm used to, you know, I'm sure you guys are the same. Lady J uh, is, you know, she used to roll with Flint or Snake Eyes, you know. You like, don't need to tell us. Yeah, yeah we're right but there. Like she's seeing more of a, her, she, used to, she used to roll more with Flint or like even Snake Eyes. Yeah, right. But then to see her with this new guy, and I know he's new because I was like, I'm not wrong on this. I went to the Hasbro website to look this up. There's no front. We all did. You don't need <laughs> to tell us. Yeah. We yeah. all head into the Hasbro website. I, it's where I get my news. You know, because I was like, wait a second. I wasn't, I don't remember First Frontier. stop, OAN. Second stop, Newsmax. Yeah. Third stop, Hasbro, Hasbro website. Yeah. That's where I get my news. Exactly. Especially if uh, I'm like, what's my brother doing? I'm like, Hasbro. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm, I continue to have a lot of fun with this book. Uh, some interesting stuff great art uh yeah i think they do a good job of like sometimes doing fun stuff with the names sometimes holding it back a little bit more um yeah i mean like i i think i've said in the past i was uh never a gi joe kid. yeah you weren't allowed to watch as a kid allowed to watch it because they used guns yes um, but these, uh, these stories I like, I like the way they're sort of one-offs story of the weeks with like different tones. Um, this one sort of has more of the action figure, uh, animated show feel, I think, but like they treat the characters in a realistic way and I appreciate it. Yeah. I, it also feels like with this issue that this is starting to build towards something, even though we've been focusing it on these individual characters, maybe I'm wrong, but yeah. issue Castlefall. 12, what? I think there's something called Castle Fall coming. Yeah, that's coming up. And that certainly seems to be a tease that we're going to start getting all these individual plot points mixing together in some way. And that's exciting. I mean, if they're really doing focusing in on one, two characters every issue and then it's building something build it bigger, that's very cool storytelling. So I'm excited to see where it goes. Uh, next up. Another one that I'm sure was in Pete's wheelhouse, Dark Knight's Death Metal Infinite Hour Extreme with so many X's. Number one yeah. from DC Comics, written by Fank Thierry, Becky Cluden, Sam Humphreys, and of course Lobo. Art by Tyler Kirkham, Rags Morales, Dennis Cowan, and again, Lobo. Uh, this is, as you can uh, guess, this is what Lobo's been doing 
during Dark Knight's death metal. What's been going on with him? Uh, it kicks off with a very Frank Thierry story. Yeah, Frank, <laughs> come on. I mean, this Pete is the, guy the most Frank Thierry story. This is, yeah, I mean, this is the guy you want on this book. You know, you want uh, this kind of goon squad guy to tell a story about one of the biggest goons there is, Lobo. And... Uh, uh, and let's not forget, we should make a Lobo Batman. And uh, yeah, I think this the was... The Batman man. Yeah, Batman the bat man. who frags. Uh, yeah, I think this was... This continues to just be a ton of over-the-top fun. Just taking the DC universe and being like, let's throw a bunch of X's on it, say it's extreme, death metal, yeah, turn it up to 11. Uh, I, yeah, and the whole headbutt joke was hysterical. It was, it was just great. Bat Grundy. I mean, I mean, what more do you want? Let me just say, it was probably a lot to read three back-to-back Lobo stories. It's like getting um, just a bowl of, uh, like a hot fudge sundae topped with a hot fudge sundae um, served in a bowl that's also made out of hot fudge sundae. Uh, And so it's not, it's not as, I didn't need that much Lobo. Um, Come on, man. I will say I liked the the, uh, back end of the second story, the other heroes being Lobo-fied. Um, Superman which, Lobo, or are you talking about Wonder Woman Lobo, or all of them? I thought those okay. were funny. Yeah, Lobo gets his hands on some death metal and remakes the universe to reimagine everybody's origin stories as all being Lobo. It's, uh, I think that was the Sam Humphreys Dennis Cowan section. I could be wrong, but it's hard to tell. It's the one that's called. It says it's by Lobo. Um, so I can't tell if it's the second story or the beginning of the third story. It sort of flows. Um, and then it's – I'm curious. It does feel like Lobo is going to play a large part in the resolution of Death Metal, which I find yeah. – well, well, he's, he's been popping up. He's been popping – go ahead, Pete. No, no, no. All I was going to say is he's been popping up uh, every – almost every issue of Dark Knight's Death Metal doing something in the background. And this is to explain what he has been doing. Yeah. And also, if you're going to do a death metal book and not talk about Lobo, I mean, you're not really talking about death metal then. If you're going to have a Wolverine who just has a longer cigar and shorter claws, <laughs> then yeah, have him be in the space, I guess. This is not Wolverine. Okay. No. No. What are some of the big differences? <laughs> All right. Is it the healing Wol- factor? Wolverine doesn't talk this much, and Wolverine isn't as in love with himself as Lobo is. Okay. Wolverine doesn't talk as much. Got it. <laughs> Uh, you're, you're just <laughs> Let's move on talk about Marvel Zombies Resurrection number four from Marvel Comics written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, art by Leonard Kirk. Uh, this book has been, I, I'd say, surprisingly great, except Philip Kennedy Johnson has been consistently delivering excellent stuff across the board. Uh, here, uh, the main thing that I talked up to multiple people who were like, ah, I don't want to read a Marvel Zombies book, was the twist last issue, or at least the plot reveal last issue, that the excuse, the reasoning for the zombies is that it's a bunch of brood who have infested Galactus. So you get the reason they're infesting superheroes is they're the brood. Uh, The reason they have a cosmic hunger is because of Galactus. And here are heroes led by Spider-Man with the two Richard children and a bunch of other random folks are attacking the Galactus hive in limbo. It all ends here, or does it? Uh, I really like this resolution quite a bit. What'd you guys think? Yeah, this... 
was just really unbelievable. Uh, continually impressed with the twists and turns that this is taking. I didn't see any of this coming the way it is. Uh, I, you know, just uh, action galore, some great story, a really impressive balance of story and action, and the art is just phenomenal. This this book is r- one of those ones that I look forward to when I see it's on our kind of pull list, and it's just it continues to impress. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Like, it's there's a lot of smart choices in this uh, in this yeah. story. Like, smart creative uh, uses of different Marvel characters. And Pete, you must have loved how this is a fun Spider Man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, he gets emotional, and it's nice. Um, but also, like, love the magic stuff and the Wolverine and Blade stuff. And you know, it's just so I don't want to spoil stuff for people. But man, just really cool. I was I was being sarcastic because Spider Man is just so sad the entire time. He's <laughs> yeah. not having any fun. Um, yeah, you know, but I love some... I love the end as well. And I really enjoy the fact that we're getting uh, both deceased from Tom Taylor and Marvel Zombies Resurrection from Philip Kennedy Johnson. They're both smart reinventions of zombie mythos. We're not just getting. Zombies in the Marvel Universe, zombies in the DC Universe, they're coming up with canonical reasons for why they exist based on what those specific universes can bring to the table. And that's great. They're both uh, very different stories as well. They're not just zombie stories. Um, And I look forward to hopefully more to come. Uh, I was surprised. It seemed like it was tying into whatever that Thanos story that Donnie Cates had been teasing is. uh, But I guess we'll see down the road. Next up, The True Lives of the Fabulous Killjoys, National Anthem Number 2 from Dark Horse Comics, story by Gerard Way and Sean Simon, art by Leonardo Romero. Uh, This is picking up, obviously, on the first issue, uh, but as everybody is slowly regaining their mojo and fighting against the They Live-type characters who are infesting the world, specifically through the lens of cops, Uh, who have been taken over by whatever is going on in this world. What did you think about this one? Uh, I think we were really complimentary of the first issue. So how'd you feel about the second? I love Uh, the art on this book. Like it's uh, has such a good tone and vibe for the, for the whole thing. And I mean, it's a little like with a lot of uh, Gerard way stuff, you're like not a hundred percent sure with what's happening. Um, but I really, it has a very musical vibe. This feels like a music montage from the Umbrella Academy TV show or, or something like that. Very much like the action feels like there's a lot of, uh, a lot happening, um, underneath it. Yeah. I, I think the art is the real hero here. It's very stylized and kind of switches back and forth, which is really impressive and still feels about the same story. But, um, yeah, this is, we don't know exactly, but we've got enough to kind of follow. It's interesting, action-packed. You can kind of understand why the people are doing what they're doing. Um, Yeah, I've I've been really impressed with this, and I'm going to continue to keep reading it. I think it's great. Particularly with this issue, it feels like it's the sort of thing that if you have ACAB in your Twitter bio, this is the comic for you. (laughs) Uh, Let's move on and talk about Goosebumps Secrets of the Swamp, number two from IDW, written by Marike Nijakab, 
art by Yasmin Flores Montanez. Uh, you two in particular were particularly complimentary of this. This is a werewolf tale uh, from the Goosebumps universe, I guess. Uh, you like the issue, first issue, quite a bit as two girls teamed up to try to, to track down some werewolves. What do you think about the second one? Yeah, I was I really impressed with the way this relationship kind of moved because what I was worried about in the first issue is you have two characters who kind of forced into this crazy scenario and I was worried they were going to just fight the whole time and not be able to kind of like move throughout the story and kind of take care of business and I think they handled that in such a good way I've been really impressed with the goosebumps this is a fun story <laughs> art art is unbelievable uh, I liked this depiction of werewolves and I thought it was adorable how that one werewolf just kind of curled up uh, I think this is very Cool and interesting story. I'm excited to read more. I have a feeling these werewolves are going to be people eventually. What? <laughs> um, not it's a not ton a happens in this or... issue as far as driving the story forward. It's mostly like we're scared in the swamp. Um, but yeah, I'm curious to see. It feels like another shoe will drop next issue. Yeah, I... I I still feel like it's not quite bringing all the elements together. The essential idea of uh, two girls who are super into fantasy role-playing games tracking down real werewolves in the woods is a really smart idea, but it's not necessarily paying off on that premise. Um, I hope we see more of that in the next issue, though I do like the art. I think the character designs are very nice, uh, and I'm enjoying reading it. It's a, it's a nice, light read. Next up, Getting It Together, number two from Image Comics co-creators and co-writers Cena Grace and Omar Spahi, art by Jenny D. Fine. We had Cena Grace and Omar Spahi on the live show a couple of weeks back to talk about the first issue, which we like quite a bit. This is like Friends, but set in San Francisco and real. Uh, this second issue is picking up on that as things only get more complicated for everybody's relationships. Uh, what'd you think? How did it pick up from the well-received premiere issue of the title? Yeah, I like this. I think, you know, being in a band is hard. You know, there's a lot of moving mm-hmm. pieces. I like how they're kind of diving into that a little bit, but mainly focusing on the relationships. I, the art's fantastic. You care enough about the characters to care about this story. Um, it's relatable. I, I think it's it's very cool. I, I liked... Um, how they kind of handle it going back and forth between the different people and, uh, uh, you know, their kind of sides and stuff. Um, I, I also thought it was very cool the way the art kind of pulls out and pulls in. Like sometimes you see wider shots and other things going on, and sometimes it's very close up. I think that's very cool storytelling. Uh, yeah, I also really like the uh, the drinking that was going on there. Um, I can relate to that as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I agree. I think this is a, a great, a great second issue. It first off, just reading this comic from a uh, a pandemic point of view, it mm-hmm. is like reading science fiction. I'm so jealous of these characters. <laughs> yeah, oh my god! Can you imagine the, being able to go into a bar and then get a drink. Uh, oh. I know that scene in the bar. I was like, yes, please uh, tell me more. How was it? What was it like? <laughs> so what did the bar smell like? Um, I even drove by like a teacher at Fridays. I was like, oh, my God, I want to go in. I've never fallen that far. But um, 
outside of that, like, uh, the relationships are really well done in this. And I want to say there are so many great standalone panels where you really like see like a perfect, uh, encapsulation of a real human action in the, in the moment. Yeah. I, I like this title's willingness to make the main characters unlikable, uh, which is not an easy I like that about us. I like that about us as well. Shut up. Shut up. Uh, No, I I think that's really good. I mean, you have this main relationship that's broken apart, and the fact that you read both of these characters as they're talking about the relationship, they're trying to be friends, it just doesn't work. They're both really not very good at it, and there's always this temptation to make those sorts of characters come to some sort of resolution or one character to be better than the other. But it feels like a real relationship right at the middle of this where nobody's right. They just broke up. They were both assholes to each other. They shouldn't have been together. Things went horribly wrong and they continue to go horribly wrong. So it feels very realistic in terms of the uh, characterization. And I think that's very nice to see. Yeah. Also, let's get to fun little story in the back as well. Absolutely. Uh, Last bit to talk about. Let's get to our X of Swords, Ten of Swords block, which I know Pete has been eagerly awaiting. We're talking about three issues this week. Marauders number 15 from Marvel Comics, written by Jerry Dugan and Benjamin Percy, art by Stefano Caselli. Excalibur number 14, written by T.D. Howard and art by Phil Dodo. Wolverine number 7, written by Benjamin Percy and Jerry Dugan and art by Joshua Cassara. In the first issue, we get a resolution of what happened with Wolverine after she... Stabbed. Let me just run through the plot here, and then you can complain to your heart content. Hold on. We get a resolution of uh, the cliffhanger last week was that Wolverine decided to shut down the conflict between Arako and Krakoa with Otherworld stuck in the middle by stabbing Saturnine to death. We get a resolution to that. Turns out uh, she knows what was going on. She shuts it down. Uh, we can see the rest of the dinner party as everybody kind of feels each other out and figures out what the strengths are. Then in Escabal number 13, we finally get the first of the fights. And spoilers here. I'll go through these. Uh, but just to give you the rundown of the fights, the first one, Betsy Braddock, Captain Britain, gets beaten immediately. <laughs> Pete has taken off his headphones. He is done. He is out of here. Uh, yeah. Betsy Braddock gets beaten immediately. Uh, Then I believe the second fight is Doug Ramsey, which he is terrified about. Turns out the fight is to get married and everybody The ultimate fight. The ultimate fight. Uh, The third one is a uh, wrestling match between Ileana and Poggerpog, I believe. She loses that, which totally makes sense. Uh, And then we get a drinking contest between Storm and Wolverine. That's a little bit of a tie for Krakoa there. Uh, But then Wolverine gets sucked into a fight, uh, a three-way fight. Um, Pete, put on your headphones. Put on your headphones, Pete. You can't hear what we're saying. Come on. Can I rant now? Uh, Can I please? You should listen to what we're saying. uh, Avoiding spoilers. You got to at least hear what I'm saying. I can't relive this bullshit again that you're telling me and not react to it. It's so fucking painful to sit here and you recount the shitty fucking story. You love Here's sword what fights. I think is phenomenal about this. I was going into this. <laughs> Pete has <laughs> taken off his headphones again. Uh, what I think is great about this that I was not blown away by is probably too strong, but really impressed by is I was going into this expecting, okay, that we're going to go through 10 sword fights, right? Yeah. 
they start off with a sword fight that ends almost immediately. I was like, what the fuck is happening here? Why are we not going to yes. do sword fights? This is honestly, Pete, put back on the headphones. Put back on the headphones, Pete. This is like, I want you to I hear this part. now, please? No, no, no. I want, to hear, I want you to hear this part that I'm talking about because my feeling when I was reading this when Betsy Braddock immediately loses it like two pages, yeah. I was furious. I was like, what is happening here? And then when the second fight was a marriage, I was like, where are the sword fights? I was promised sword fights. But by the time they got to the third fight and the fourth fight, I was starting to get really impressed by the structure of the storytelling oh, here. You. Hold on, hold fuck on. Fuck you. I was impressed by the structure of the storytelling here because it's a total swerve. They're going for like, what are your expect- expectations? It's going to be this gauntlet of Ted fights. Instead, we're coming up with different ways of hitting this. And it becomes clear, definitely getting into spoilers here, but it becomes clear through the storytelling that what Saturnine is doing, that her whole plan is not to have... Krakoa beat Araka, but to have Araka realize, wait, we are the same as Krakoa and we need to join together. And we're not quite there yet, but that's such a fascinating, interesting, different swerve for the storytelling. I am very excited for the way this is going going forward. Pete, go ahead. All right. Well, first off, to address what you're saying, if you're going to do that, fucking do a fun issue where they're playing fucking volleyball or whatever or having a barbecue and they can fucking get along or whatever. But you set up for fucking 14 issues. There's going to be this epic fucking battle. And the first epic battle is shit. The second battle is a marriage. What the fuck are you talking about? The third, fourth, fifth, they're not even fights. They're bullshit fucking side things that don't make any sense. You're People who won don't get points. Other people are getting random points. What the fuck is going on? You've teed this up for fucking... There's going to be 22 issues of this bullshit. And you've done nothing but rob us of good story with this bullshit where there's actual story that could be happening, but you're not addressing that, just sitting across from each other going, oh, you're doing well raising our children. Fuck you. If you're going to get into it, get into it. Don't just fucking give us one piece of something and walk away. I'm so frustrated on so many levels with this fucking story. I've had it up to here. I was so pissed. Captain Britain, that whole thing, would you? Uh, it's a very upsetting when you build to something and then don't come close to even delivering it. You fucking piss in my face when it comes to delivery, and then walk away and go, "Yeah, this shit doesn't even matter." We're Pete, counting spo- random spoilers. Spoilers. Points. The next issue is the two X Men pissing each other's faces for the. Yeah, yeah. That's the, well. that's, the well. that's the X. That's the X. Pissing context. Um, uh, hold on, Pete. I feel like you might need to catch your breath for a second. Uh, is that the art is very enjoyable? Oh, <laughs> nice. Uh, that's a great. lot for me to say. That um, I agree with Alex. Uh, I, uh, I, this was such a surprise. But reading these three issues in particular, it really felt like oh, they're doing like even oh. though it's not explicitly this it feels like the fairy realm the, um, the where people nothing we... nothing is what you expect and so of course the battle is not going to be just 
a bunch of random sword fights, everyone is being tricked. But I think what's smart about that is the Araco yeah, we, the, the reader are being tricked. But in the same way that the best stories out of surprise you. They supr- you're not being tricked out of money. Um, but let me say the handful of handful of issues for free. Yeah. yeah, I'm just saying I'm talking about for the people who pay money for comic sure. books. Don't fucking shell out money for this book. You're going to be fucking pissed no, no, because no. Uh, hold, hold on, because this is uh, I, I obviously I have not read the issues beyond this week, but. This is a build, right? And yeah. what we're building up to, and I could be wrong, is we're going to get a actually epic sword fight between Apocalypse and Annihilation, his wife. But if there were nine issues of sword fights before that, it wouldn't hit as hard when you finally get to that. Well, then um, give me story and then just give me that last fight. Don't fucking promise me great battles along the way and then fucking be like, no, nope. two people are-, are randomly going to get married for no fucking reason. And all of a sudden, a guy who all he does is talk to things can't talk. And that's the reason he falls in love with her. Are you fucking kidding me? Uh, here's what I, what I was trying to say before. Like, Sorry, um, it, it, it is much more interesting to feel to have these stories be surprising and interesting, especially at the beginning when like. Like, especially Doug Ramsey, like, he goes in, either he's going to be straight up murdered, or he's going to win randomly. Instead, it's something completely unexpected, and I appreciate that. And it also, like, as we've met the the Araka Warriors, they're, like, so intense. There's so much more. They've been uh, raised in, they fought their entire lives for millennium. One of them is has legit never lost a thing. So, like, the odds are stacked against the X-Men, and I think the X-Men... They're, in one of these issues, they talk about this. They have a have had a happier world, a happier life. So I think they can sort of figure out these games and win this without it being just a, a brute battle between different people that we've seen a hundred times in a hundred different comics. So I think this is actually makes for some better storytelling. The fact that Wolverine issue where he wins and also loses is fun it's funny wolverine is outplayed twice in these issues i love the storm wolverine drinking battle that's great did you see storm in storm leans in for a kiss she does like what's up so much uh who did the art for that one that was uh joshua kasara the way that is laid out in that issue and it slowly builds until Wolverine disappears as they're about to kiss because they're completely wasted and they're going to hook up. That's great. Like, uh, I love the tension inherent in that scene and the fact that Wolverine ends up in this three-way battle where he's just plastered the entire time is so much fun. It's good. Pete, you're upset. Yes, I'm very upset because who the fuck – I don't understand why Wolverine is not acting like Wolverine. Wolverine, you know you can't just drink in the middle of a sword battle. You know you're going to have to fight. And also, like, <laughs> why are you trying to cheat beforehand? Like, I I have they, no – They, pr- uh, wait, they wait, say wait. That, that it's a drinking game is the battle, so he does it. Listen, yeah, you don't, you can't smell. You're gonna get fucked on that. I saw that coming a mile away. I've I, never been fucked during a drinking game, or a, I guess afterwards, but I, I don't know. Uh, anyways, I just think that hey, if you want to 
tell stories, great, but don't promise me one thing and then deliver another thing. I like a swerve. I like interesting stories. Yes, the marriage is surprising, whatever. Great, great for you guys. But when you put me through these fucking origin stories of getting a sword and, oh, man, I got the baddest sword I can get, and now I'm going to go into a battle to fight for my fuck island... Oh my god! And then you don't do that. You you don't even come close to a battle. You we haven't gotten one good one yet, and your the scoring is all wrong. You're really concerned with the score. Yeah, this is if you're fighting to the death, and it's oh, I, the I just, the title of the event is called X of Arm Wrestling. I don't understand. What yeah, your yeah, that is. fucking arm. Wrestling. It's called Ten of Marriage. Is. <laughs> Well, clearly we have a disagreement here, and I think that's a but great two to one. We win. Later, there yeah, you go. Araco wins. That's it for we're our stock. Araco, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Justin. Uh, that's it for our stock podcast. If you'd like to support us, Patreon.com/slash Comic Book Club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast and YouTube, iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe and listen to the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, ComicBookClubLive.com for this podcast and more, many more. Until next time. Keep getting married, everybody. <laughs> get, up, get out there. The ultimate sword fight. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.